right. Hello. Welcome to Scuttlebutt. Today we have an interview with uh, Tom Schumann, whose book just came out. And uh, Vic, you got an early... Yes, yeah. Always Faithful is the title of the book. Uh, friend of the show, Major Tom Schumann, currently the operations officer for 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines. His book, I literally this morning woke up and got a notification on my phone that uh, his book hit Audible. So if you didn't pre-order... Uh, go out, get it in Audible, get it in print format. It's an ab- absolutely outstanding read, and it's a wonderful interview that you guys are going to get later today. So, yeah, it's available on all the win win for everyone. But uh, before we jump into that, uh, the September edition of the Marine Corps Gazette is going to start hitting. Uh, well, we don't, it doesn't really go on shelves. We'll start hitting the mailbox and yes. be available yeah. online, hot and ready uh, in man. the next week or so. Uh, so the print's done. It's out there. It's it's getting delivered. Um, so what is going on in September in Gazette, William? So uh, we're gonna do sort of like an editor's choice for uh, for this Gazette <laughs> segment. And uh, as as the one of the resident historians, I I love uh, when Gazette writers uh, talk about history, especially even more recent history. So some of the uh, shout outs I like to give out is an article or articles uh, such as. Intelligence Support for FD-2030 by Major Tuvia Sokolov. And this is an analysis of the uh, war between Armenian and Azerbaijan in the Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, sorry to all my Armenian friends for my uh, butchering, butchering that. And then that uh, goes really, pairs really well with uh, the 2020 Nagorno-Karabakh War article written by Katman Garza. And they talk about essentially like the, the use of, of technology, UAS, um, and its applications in the war as, as a sort of a uh, benchmark from which to, to judge how future conflicts are going to go with these emerging technologies. Um, some other articles that I like that pair really well with these is the uh, Paradigm Shift by Sergeant Major Daniel Hyder talking about the Amman and their, uh, the Houthis' use of UAS. And it's sort of how a lot of the tactics and strategies that the Houthis are using are very similar to what you see in um, Force Design 2030 EABO. And that pairs really well with Operate Under the Umbrella by Major Sean Ford, which is, again, talking about the Houthis in Yemen. Uh, very, I, I, for people who don't know, uh, there is a, there's a war going on in Yemen, and it's, uh, it's a lot of stuff that we're seeing uh, the Marine Corps talk about now is, is relevant to that conversation. Some other articles that I really like from the edition also are The Cat's Meow by Captain Michael Hansen, talking about Operation Servo Mali, and to, to get across the point of how as the Marine Corps has a crisis response force, they can use this operation as an example of how to deal with potential uh, issues in the future. And finally, uh, going back to World War II history, everyone, every, I think every Marine, every American's favorite war to study and talk about. Uh, it's called, the, the article told The Philippines 1942 by uh, Mr. Bergen, and it essentially talks about MacArthur's failure to orient on his adversary prior to when the Japanese would, uh, went into the Philippines. All right. And so while we're talking about pairing articles and stuff, would you say these pair better with wine or with whiskey? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually enjoyed it with a uh, 40 ounce of uh, St. Ides. There you go. <laughs> Crooked yeah. eye. Just duct tape it to your hand. That's yeah. right. You got to wear that 40 glove. Um, yeah, and, and, and just of note, um, and one of the, I think, not to, uh, just to piggyback off of what you're saying, William, I think one of the reasons why these, uh, do pair so well and are sort of our editorial choices is because these are all recipients of the uh, Marine Corps University's um, essay contest. They are all prize winners. 
Um, and the, so if for all of those future authors uh, who uh, may not be aware, the Marine Corps University does run essay contests just like we here at the Marine, uh, Marine Corps Association do. And this year's uh, contest was called 10 Years Outside. And so there's a lot of uh, the focus of this uh, essay contest was to look at recent wars, conflicts that did not have U.S. involvement. And so for these authors to be able to f juxtapose uh, international um, intervention, war, skirmishes uh, from outside the U.S. lens, I thought was really well done. Yeah, it's interesting too. Uh, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Mali, Mali, uh, Yemen. Yemen. Mm -hmm. uh, these places that aren't within our sphere. How? Yeah. So interesting. Uh, when I was uh, my last uh, assignment was with uh, the Marine Corps training mission out of the UAE, and so indirectly, Marines were sort of tangentially involved uh, because we were with the Emiratis, getting them making them a more uh, flexible expeditionary mm -hmm. type force rather than just um, sort of uh, a domestic defensive defense force. Um, and so through that, you know, you know, connect the dots as you will, the Emiratis are with the Saudis mm -hmm. in participating in Yemen and we're there making them a more expeditionary force. So yeah. ex post facto, um, you know, it is what it is. And, and uh, But so that was interesting uh, from my perspective to see what they were coming back as far as their own TTPs, their own SOPs that were working, what the Houthis were doing that was effective, and then getting them ready to make those, do that uh, learning on the fly uh, to then redeploy so, yeah, yeah a, lot, cool. a lot of what uh, Marine Corps Gazette intellectuals throughout the year have, have, have picked up on is that the, some of the best ways to study uh, um, professional military history is to uh, and, and for professional military education is to do a combination of studying military history and then the applications of new technologies. And what these articles do is they talk about very recent history so that we can understand how the tactics and strategies have changed, but also how they've changed as a result of new technologies being integrated into. And essentially what these conflicts are for, for your average Marine is just they're like a, a free experiment that we have open source access information to to see how they went down. And the, the, the more that we just focus on our own experimentation, the more we're limiting to what others lessons others have learned at their own expense without in, us expending anything. Absolutely. And I, I, I also really appreciate that, um, that global perspective on crisis response. Um, you know, we, we definitely get into this sort of American exceptionalism mindset because, I mean, at the end of the day, as much as we want to encourage esprit de corps, we have to understand things outside of the Marine Corps. I mean, we sort of Dutch oven ourselves yeah. <laughs> um, in a lot of ways. Uh, and so getting outside of our comfort zone and really trying to look at these things in a more global perspective only makes us stronger. Uh, and it allows us to then look back. And like you said, it, it, no cost to us. There's nothing out of the war chest for us to pull out the TTPs and after-action reports of these other folks doing these missions. So. I, thought, I think that's really cool. Um, from my perspective uh, in the September Gazette, I, I really appreciated the discussion of Force Design 2030 and stand-in forces from perspectives outside of the line units. Um, 
a lot of what we've talked about recently on the show and what's been going on um, between the the cabal of upset <laughs> senior <laughs> officers and the commandant is, you know, what do we do with our like stuff that goes boom mm-hmm. and how do we make it go boom better? And a lot of the articles that are coming out this month are talking about just that, like, well, we can make these things go boom, but without having to focus on the stuff that actually explodes. And so a couple of those that I really liked, um, and another, another contest winner, um, an article, uh, from captain Mello. She was, uh, this is a Marine Corps Association essay contest. She was the honorable mention in the uh, Major General Chase Prize um, essay contest. And her uh, article is titled, There's No L in MAGTAF. And she takes a very, very um, controversial view, but very provocative in uh, disbanding the uh, Marine Logistics Group construct altogether and distributing it down all the way to the company level um, so that in, in, in her point here that I thought was really profound was this change in structure will also force combat arms planning staffs to integrate uh, organic logistics into their exercise and deployment planning and, and you know coming from a heavy junk unit like third tracks that's a huge huge deal um, and so I think for infantry units uh, to start thinking more holistically about their operations, maybe having an organic uh, logistics staff would, would be yeah. a, a way to do that. And kind of decentralizing logistics is a really new concept. Uh, but for Force Design 2030, and especially yeah. the concept for stand-in forces, it's absolutely vital, as we've talked about, because how do you do low signature logistics when you're distributed mm-hmm. across and i would add like an asterisk to what you just said nick like it's it's a new concept for the united states military specifically and i think that as we go forward we're going to need to uh start studying yeah. again like studying other people's lessons of what they've learned especially mm-hmm. um even if potentially studying adversaries to to figure out how they're able to use distributed um distributed uh logistics in yeah. their in their yeah. forces yeah absolutely. for big state uh, militaries it's pretty new the times are changing yeah, like, yeah well i mean for really i mean we've, we've operated how do you how, what's the proper without impunity mm-hmm. for so long we've just taken for granted air superiority we've taken for granted freedom of movement not maneuver but movement so we could just move things from a fixed site a yeah. gigantic logistics hub like al-assad or Camp Dwyer or whatever, and we could just sort of, yeah, we have to worry about IEDs or whatever, but for the most part, I could just load up everything that everyone needs and just drive it to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And obviously, that's not the the world we live in anymore. And the initial blast of logistics has always been able to be established as well uh, to create, I guess, the beachhead. uh, Yeah, the lodgement. Yeah, yeah, the lodgement, yeah. So, all right, well, that's a lot of... uh, Interesting stuff in there. Yeah, there's one other article um, that I really well, – one, just so folks know, um, Lieutenant General David Furness, who is um, the director of uh, PP&O, has an article. It's really great. He talks his, – his article is titled, um, Change is Hard uh, and No Less So in the Marine Corps. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. we know what he's talking about there. And then the last one I want to mention is uh, an article from Second Lieutenant Kyle Daly called Descent Done Right. Um, and there's actually an appendix to this article online that will accompany 
the print version. But basically what he talks about is how do you navigate social media without getting yourself in trouble? Yeah. Uh, and it all it's sort of in response to um, the Lieutenant, Cal- Lieutenant Colonel Scheller controversy and debacle that that was. And how do you... Like, because we're, we, we're not robots. We're not an authoritarian regime. We, I mean, we're, through talent management, we're trying to encourage these outside perspectives. But how do you dissent with leadership within the laws in, in the uh, Uniform Code of Military Justice in a way that not only keeps you out of trouble but is also engaging and promotes discourse so for us here at the Gazette, that's also, also you know, obviously very important. Yeah. So yeah, we encouraged. love controversial articles. Please send them to us. Yes, yeah. don't get Make- yourself in trouble though. Read that article <laughs> yeah, first, read and it. then. <laughs> well, they talk about. He mentions, I think, and maybe I think to add on how the Marine Corps Gazette is a very appropriate place um, for for dissenting opinions, as we've just seen. He's an outstanding Marine. And makes yeah. it makes well, Kyle Daly's an outstanding writer too. He's well, he's a, a journalist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. makes our job more interesting. So absolutely. So all right, well. That's what's going on in Gazette in September, which it's August and it, it comes out in August, I guess. So yeah, have fun sure. with that. And uh, here is Past Vic talking with uh, Major Tom Schumann. Take it easy. Hey, everybody. It's Vic. Welcome again to another uh, episode of Scuttlebutt. Um, I'm really super stoked right now. We're here with uh, reoccurring guests now, Major Tom Schumann. Um, talk about his his book, uh, Always Faithful, that chronicles uh, his not only his time in Afghanistan and his time with his interpreter, but then the really just compelling and 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 gut wrenching journey that he took on to help bring his linguist Zach back from Afghanistan in the uh, summer of 2021 as the Taliban were taking over and we were pulling out. So getting all the details of that, it's an absolutely wonderful book. It hits the shelves of August 9th. But hey, Tom, man, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. This is a great thing. So we were just uh, talking off uh, a little bit about your move and you're all you're out in the West Coast now. Could you sort of bring us up to speed on what you're doing, where you're at? Yeah, I, uh, I just PCS'd from the Naval War College, and I checked into 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, and I'm snapping in as the operations officer. So I uh, spent four years on the East Coast between Georgetown Naval Academy and the Naval War College, so got to spend a lot of time developing my most lethal weapon, my mind, and now it's uh, time to put that into practice and get out there and get some Marines trained and ready for combat. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's, it was a busy time while you're on the East Coast, as we uh, will read in the book. Um, we also, you've got your uh, foundation that's that's really picking up a ton of steam, right? Sure. We, we started Patrol Base Abate a little over a year ago. Uh, we run programs free of cost out in Montana. And we are in our, we call it the Return to Base uh, program. And so we're in full swing of our Return to Base program. And we, we just did a book club uh, about two weeks ago with Carl Wallantis, which was pretty cool to see uh, veterans from every service, from every generation, all out there in Montana to talk about uh, some of his books. And this weekend, we have a golf club uh, going out there. I'm not a not a golfer, but that's the thing, is that I didn't build Patrol Base Abate just to do the things that 
I'm into. I built it so that every veteran, active duty, reservist, National Guard, uh, Guardsman, felt like they had a place that they can go do the thing that they like to do and do that in community with other veterans. Uh, with with irrespective of if they went to combat or if they're wounded, it's just a place for those who served. And so the the only uh, requirement for mission is your service, and, and and we'll fly you out to Montana, and, and you can get connected to do the things that you love to do. So. Well, I think uh, next up is a fight club. So we'll have some vets go out there and do some jujitsu, followed up by a strength club. So if you can lift the weights. So try to get, have everything for something for everybody out there. And uh, yeah, it, it's awesome to see the community that's formed and the connections that are forming through patrol uh, base out there. Yeah, that is so great. That's awesome. And we'll make sure we definitely link everything um, in the show notes and stuff when, uh, when this airs, but um yeah, so we were talking, you're out uh, in San Clemente, as many of the listeners know. I was just out there, super jealous uh, that that you got to, uh, that you're out there now, but I'm really I'm happy for you and, and, and hope you're uh, getting settled in your own little slice of Narnia there <laughs> in uh, beautiful Southern California. So 75 and sunny. Yeah, that's right, man. That's right. Um, so first off, though, I do really, I really do want to congratulate you on this book. Um, last time we were on, we were congratulating you on an article that you'd written for the Gazette that was you know, extremely compelling. And this really, this book, in a lot of ways, is sort of a, a really the magnification of some of the things that you had talked about in your article, um, dealing with, you know, leadership. Um, sort of the disconnect, the communication disconnect, the ideological disconnect between some of the the locations of headquarters elements and then Marines and soldiers on the front line, sort of those things that they're seeing. Um, so again, man, like, I really just want to applaud all of your efforts uh, in just advocacy and, and exposure and, and doing things uh, you know, through literary art and then obviously your contributions, uh, your philanthropic contributions. And so seriously, do my hats off to you. This is this has been really great to see. I've only known you now for you know less than a year, but it's been it's been great watching all the stuff you're doing. Thanks, man. You got to keep attacking. You got to stay in the fight. A lot of work to be done. Yeah. Yeah, there is, man. I'm, I'm happy that you're one of the guys in the trenches on that. So, as we mentioned, uh, this book, uh, Always Faithful, it uh, drops on August 9th, which is just a few weeks away from the date that we're recording today. Um, So, for anybody who is listening to this now, and you need to take the time to press pause on on the recording, order this book. It is absolutely worth it. I think I read it in about two days. Um, and then you can hit press, you can press play after you're done ordering it online, uh, or running out. But, um, so I gave sort of a little bit of an intro, but for those who aren't aware that even this book is coming down the pike, would you mind sort of giving us your elevator speech or some of the inside cover stuff on what it is that this book is about and what it is you're exploring? Yeah. Um, it's a book about a friendship that, turned into really a brotherhood of Marine officer and his interpreter is kind of at the crux of the story. I I find that more interesting than what I do or who I am in the story is is a a supporting cast. And so I get to talk a little bit about 
the people who helped shape me and get me to to where I am today, and and you know, no one greater made a greater impact than than my mom. Talk a little bit about how my faith was central to to deliver me through many of these uh, trials and adversity, and then uh, get to talk about meeting Zach and 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 singing, and um, he was my interpreter when I was with Kilo Company, Third Battalion, Fifth Marines. And Zach and I are uh, telling this in alternating uh, narrative, uh, first person. And so uh, he'll start a chapter, then I'll, I'll do the next chapter. And we're kind of both chronologically telling our story to an extent until we, our story ends up on a, a path to collide once 9-11 happens. And, and there we met in Hellman. And it's important to be able to tell the story of the 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines and, and the sacrifice of of those great heroes and those great men it's their stories worth telling worth knowing worth remembering worth worth saying again and so uh it's just a it's just a responsibility that i'll, I'll always carry forward to to whenever i can to tell their story a little bit uh and then you know i go back to america zach stays in afghanistan and we start families uh but Zach is continually persecuted by the Taliban for his service with U.S. forces and asked me for help to, with his visa. And so for about five years, we, we worked on that. Uh, we made no progress. And um, once the announcement was made that the U.S. troops would withdraw, I asked Zach what that meant to him. And he said, that means uh, my family will be dead and they are going to kill me. Um, and I said, okay, looks like I'm going to be pretty, got a new job that, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to start working here. And so at that point, uh, I, it, it, you know, the story is always faithful. It's, it's about Zach's faithfulness, uh, his family, to his country, to his, to, and to our country. Um, and then, you know, it's about a little bit about me trying to keep a promise that our country made to somebody and, and trying to honor that 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 commitment, that promise. Yeah, I, I remember uh, in one of the excerpts in the book, or not excerpts, but one of the sections in the book, you mentioned how uh, even though this was you doing it for what it meant for Zach, that you were the United States. And so that promise, yes, this was a promise that you made, Tom to Zach, but this was also a promise that America had made to those Afghans that had agreed to help us. And so I thought that was really, this was sort of a profound statement. Yeah, you you represent more than just the friendship. You, you to them, to that person, are representative of, of the whole. And, uh, and also when Zach signed that contract, I mean, he was working for me, you know, and so in a lot of regards, I, I was the face of, of, of that deal. Um, and not only, as you alluded to, did I have a personal duty to a friend, but I, I had a larger duty to, to try to honor our nation's promises to our allies. Yeah, dude, it, it's so insane. I, I, I guess anecdotally, uh, you know, we, we had a similar situation with my linguist that I had in Iraq, and I remember how hopeless that feeling was. <clears throat> But I coordinated a lot with the guy that had ripped out with me that was really the driving force with getting um, 
our linguist back as things were kind of unraveling in Iraq. And, and I just, I do remember how hopeless that felt and how relieved I was that the guy that was really pushing this, you know, as you allude to in the book, like rolling this boulder up the hill um, was the guy that it was. But um, yeah, I, anyways, all that is to say, like, I definitely, there's so much of this uh, story that resonated with me. Um, but I think it also resonates on a, a level that's deeper than um, just Marines and, and, and soldiers and, and brothers in arms. And I think one of the things that was really working for it, that I think that really helped drive some of these more uh, existential themes was the structuring of the book. I'm really interested how that came about, because normally when you look at uh, nonfiction memorials, and you're looking at war accounts, it's really a, kind of a straightforward structure, very traditional, linear sort of storytelling style, but you guys are alternating points of view. How did that come about? Was that always part of the plan, or did that evolve from many, many various edits? Yeah, I I was never going to write a book without Zach. And uh, I think you know, I'm, I'm influenced by my Asian American literature course I took at Georgetown with Professor Christine So, where, where we read a lot of texts in the original voices rather than just kind of a secondhand account or a thirdhand account about uh, a subject or a topic or an area. And so, you know, what, why, what the world doesn't need is an, another Marine white dude from America saying, here's what Afghanistan's all about. You know, it's just, there's, there's plenty of, there's plenty of accounts of what Iraq or what Afghanistan or even what war is, is about. And, and, and to me, what is really interesting in this story is it's Zach's element of the story. And, and I spent about 17 months in Afghanistan. Um, I could tell you a little bit about Helmand Province, a little bit about my AO within Helmand Province. I could tell you a little bit about the people or the culture, but you know who could tell you a lot about Afghanistan? The, the guy who uh, was born there and grew up there and lived there. And I could tell you what I think about the evacuation out of Kabul, or I could tell you about a guy who lived through that horror and, and, and or he could tell his own story about it. And so, uh, I thought it was really important to have Zach's voice be represented in this text. And, uh, and, and, you know, what does the war mean to us in America is, is definitely different than what it means to somebody who is from Afghanistan and grew up. And so the, the, that, that 20 year long war that I mean encompassed most of Zach's life. It it encompassed 17 months of mine, you know, and so uh, I, I think he's probably the subject matter expert that people should be interested in to, to get some of his takeaways. And so fortunately, uh, Harper Collins was super supportive. The publisher was was always uh, very supportive of, of that idea. And you know, we explored with a couple of different kind of ways that we we would tell the story, but I've, we've got a great editor, Matt Harper, and he and he kind of helped us get that structure right. And you know, learning the value of having a great editor is definitely one thing uh, I've learned throughout this process. Which I guess 
knowing the value of, of proofreading and editing is something I learned definitely in an English MA program, but uh, I didn't, I n never did the quality of, of having someone like Matt Harper kind of assisting us. And so, uh, but yeah, it, it was, it was paramount critical to, to have Zach co-author this book with me and, uh, and, and just the, the alternating narrative structure is kind of what we landed on as, as what made the most sense. Yeah, I found that so compelling. Um, and I also really appreciated how in telling that, that you guys would sort of not go a full reverse. We're not having to like rehash the events, but I did still like that you guys reset a little bit beyond uh, or a little bit behind where the last narration left off so that we could see some of that overlap because there were so many things that it was really interesting to get the different perspectives of the same events. And so, whereas one, uh, like I said, a one account, I'm glad you guys didn't do a full reset, but at the same time, I'm also glad that it wasn't just a baton passing with one point of view picking up where the other one dropped off, so. Yeah, that's my uh, that's my fist experience, my JTAC experience. Uh, you know, you gotta you gotta have some of those overlapping fires before you. Uh, yeah. Move in on it. So, yeah, there's a little bit of handoff there. Really cool. Um, what I, I really think that that the way it was told. Um, now, for from Zach's point of view, I mean, did he is this him writing it out, or did he have uh, a, a I guess a ghostwriter. Yeah, I'm, I mean, this is Zach's story. He did plenty of the writing. Uh, he had support from uh, a great uh, writer named Rick Parker, who uh, helped both of us polish parts of the story. But uh, I mean, Zach wrote his stories out, and 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 worth, um, yeah, worth put some touches on there. And, and worth is a super talented. He's, he's a retired Marine officer as well. Well, I shouldn't say as well. He's a, he's a retired Marine officer and writer, and uh, we're very fortunate that he was able to help get us through some of the sticking points of the text and uh, really polish up some some of the stuff. And so Zach, Zach's English is, you know, you will, Zach and I are going to go do the circuits here, and, and, you'll, and you'll see that he's, it's pretty good. Um, and, but, yeah, there, I mean, there are some gaps that uh, needed to be filled in. So we were thankful to, to have Worth uh, fighting alongside us as well. That's really awesome. Yeah, because you can tell that, I mean, it's clearly, he has a very distinct voice. Um, it's not just uh, someone, I guess, you know, scribing from a narration. So it's, it's such a well-done book, man. Over I, Again, I can't, can't uh, congratulate you enough. There's so many... Okay. Let, let me just credit the, you know, that that like I said, that that's the whole team. It's 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 worth it, Zach. It's 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 Matt Harper. Uh, it really um, there's a lot of people who helped get the book to where it was, and I'm just fortunate to have played a, a small part in that. Yeah, yeah, for absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, I guess one of the themes, even uh, as we talk about the formation of the book, is teamwork and and um, you know. Not not be, not being able to do it all on your own. I think that's a, that's one of the reoccurring themes here. Others that we've seen throughout your book, uh, throughout the text is like you know brotherhood. Clearly, the horrors of war, challenges of returning from war. You make reference to the hero's journey on a number of occasions, um, but like you mentioned, these are themes that you will see on the shelves already uh, in articles 
not that they're not important, not that they're not compelling, but they they are there. Um, it's not hard to find. Um, just if you pick up a, a memoir, a memoir or a, 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 a task force commander's account or anything like that. Um, so, but you, what you guys are doing here, though, and I think something that that you don't see very often uh, in these types of accounts and these um, and these memoirs is that level of vulnerability. And I know it's obviously super hard for us as service members to not admit that at some points we were out of control where we did just we were in a, a living in a world that was at that was void of control and we just did what we had to do to get through it. I think you had a really great example um, in here when you were out on your first patrol and you get sort of wire brushed by your other lieutenant about, oh, hey, now you got your car. Now time to make a decision. And you're like, I did make a decision. I'm not going to die today. That was my decision. Um, and so there's little, there's instances like that that you don't normally see that level of vulnerability. But then there's also so much uh, in the vulnerability of your life growing up. You in particular, Zach, for sure. I mean, can you talk a little bit about like how important that was for you guys to not just tell a war story? In order for it to be authentic, it you know it had to have that level of, of vulnerability. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be someone that I'm not. And 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 I think in that vulnerability, you often find the best kind of uh, little glimpses of of, of truth. Uh, I didn't understand, you know, have everything worked out. I didn't understand how everything was going to work. I just, I just had a really great supporting crew and, and, and that, and again, like I, I started this conversation with it, it starts with, with my mom and, and some of the, some of the hard things about growing up as a single, with a single mom, you know, and uh, it's very formative to who I am is, is, is is a woman when she was 19 uh, who just had a GED, uh, actually didn't have a GED, high school dropout, uh, made a very brave decision. And, uh, and it's important to acknowledge that her courage and, and, and I would argue is her heroism is, is really provided me and, and her sacrifices is, is provided me any of the opportunities to, to become the man that I am today is very much a, a, a direct result of her and, plenty of mistakes that I made that I, I think are worth examining and, and, and learning from. And, and if I can use the tax of the space to kind of work some of that stuff out uh, for me personally, and, and, and maybe maybe somebody else is able to draw an observation from that as well. I, I think it's that's kind of the, the, the input is to, to putting out some more of those vulnerable moments. It's, it's uncomfortable knowing that people are going to get to be able to peer into some moments of, of my life, but I I I wanted to be as honest and uh, as I could throughout the text, uh, and while still presenting a you know a compelling narrative. And so uh, I think yeah, you, you might I I could have could have elected to write the story much differently and sanitized. I don't think you get a very 
interesting story that way. You get a nice, neat story, but maybe not a, I don't think nearly as compelling. So we took yeah. some risks and we put, put ourselves out there. For sure. I, I think, yeah, I think where, where it resonates is if, if you don't, I guess, add in that human aspect, you don't have that same sort of existential thematics that you're coming through so well in this. You end up with, oh, something like an after-action report that's useful for people in the business. Uh, but I don't think it, like you said, I don't think it resonates on levels uh, beyond like like this does. So I really, uh, I, again, I applaud. I think a lot of it too, as we were talking structure, I think having that alternating point of view also helped drive a lot of those themes home because we get to see the universality of the themes. You know, it's not like, hey, here's the story of the American and then here's the story of the Afghan and oh, they happen to intersect at some point. You start, you really get a very, almost a tactile sense of the parallelism uh, of, the, yeah. of the narrative. And that's one of the benefits of traveling, right? Is that you, you really learn that people are generally, you know, all kind of going through the same shit, you know, called life and, and just trying to figure it out. And that most people are trying to do their best. And, uh, you know, it's, what, do they, what do the Jesuits call it? Like the something of goodwill, a presumption of goodwill, you know? And so mo most people are really just trying to, and, and you know, I, I even, this is probably not a popular comment to make, but I, I spent a month in Russia and I, people welcomed me into their home. I had host families and they're just kind of normal, good, you know, they're not Vladimir Putin, you know? <laughs> right. uh, and, and so it's, it's, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, you, you could, you could pluck somebody's story uh, out of any given country or and probably most of the human struggles and challenges. I think that they are, they're universal. And, uh, and, and that, and that's why the, I, I think the book is, more a story about friendship and, and family than it is a, is a war story, you know, and, and, and that's, that's definitely intentional. Speaking of, of the, you know, the sort of the intention of the book and, and what you guys are going for, um, you guys have received a, a ton of uh, really positive early press and much, uh, obviously, well, very much deserved. Uh, and, you know, like, any kind of literary art, there's so many ways that the thematics are going to resonate and things are going to they're going to come out. Many of which have to do with you know what the readers are looking for, and a lot of the early um, reviews and, and comments that have come out have you know talked about how the gritty uh, battle scenes, um, your uh, really well established accounts of way things occurred, you know, Zach's story. But one of the things that I have, I, I didn't necessarily see talked about that you had already mentioned earlier is that theme of family. I, I really feel like as I, when I finished reading it, I look at where the book literally starts and where the book literally finishes, that this is more a story about family than anything else. And it's something that really was hard not to just get drawn into and to just, really walk the ground with you uh, through this narrative because of all of the arcs that had to deal with family and commitment to family 
ups and downs, the positives and the negatives of being part of a family. I mean, what, what do you think? Uh, is that something you guys are shooting for? Yeah, I, I mean, first, Afghan culture is extremely family-oriented. I mean, it is, every time I've talked to Zach, you know, to, to include when we first met in Afghanistan and then, you know, subsequent last 12 years, every conversation we have is like, how's your family? How's, how's your wife? How's your kids? You know, they still do it five times, you know. Yeah. It's like, uh, how's your kids? How's your kids? How's your kids? Like, that is so good. Uh, and, and so it, 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 it's, it's about it's a part of their culture I really admire and respect is the, the, the family, um, how family oriented it is. Um, and my family story is a little bit fractured and, uh, at times pretty chaotic. Uh, but it's, it's the idea of, of being always faithful. And I think that is what it comes down to when somebody is truly family you don't necessarily have to be biological but you know it, it's the idea of many people will be acquaintances and, and some will be friends and they'll be faithful sometimes you know they'll be faithful when uh things are going well they'll, you know when when it's 75 and sunny when when everything is is, is positive it they'll be there they'll be they'll be faithful and and i i always I really think about this in, you know, the Marine Corps motto, Semper Fidelis, and I always try to put the emphasis on the Semper. And it, it, it's, it's, that, it's that aspect of always faithful. And, and Zach didn't just translate. I mean, he fought next to us in some of the worst ambushes of the war in Afghanistan. You know, the stuff that he didn't have to do, running through a minefield, you know. Uh, and, and he remained always faithful uh to kilo first platoon and the marines there and and then subsequently when he went and worked for the army he you know he always honored his part of the deal even when it was challenging even when it was dangerous even when uh he, he i'm sure he didn't want to but he still did and and so i like to always kind of connect this idea of of, of people who i consider family and and, and people who have been always with the emphasis on always faithful and they're the people i consider you know my brothers and um someone like uh arden Benagua was he was one of my engineers and you know he walked point every day in a minefield and there was one squad of combat engineers attached to kilo company third battalion fifth marines there's 13 of them 12 of their 13 were casualties and of those 12 they were either amputees or killed in action and Arden Benago was number 12. here's this 19 year old kid who every day grabs a metal detector that doesn't actually detect the IEDs goes out and walks in front of a marine platoon uh knowing ahead of time what the outcome knowing ahead of time the consequence of his actions and he walked point literally uh until his death until his his head was blown off right i named my son after him i think of valdermo lopez who the night before he hit inchon wrote his parents a letter and he said father i whatever happens know that no one forced me to be a marine that 
I volunteered to be here and that I accept my fate or whatever is to come. And then the next day he hit a, hit a wall and they're pinned down by machine gun fire. And he's the first person over that wall in an iconic image leading his platoon. And then the grenade comes and he gets shot at the same time and he goes to throw the grenade and he can't throw the grenade. So he brings it and it's, it's, it's that type. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's Thomas in the gospel when he turns to the other disciples and says, let us go with him so that we may die. It's the idea of knowing the consequence ahead of time and still going. And, and, and if, and if I told you specifically, here's how it all plays out, would you still, will you still go? Would you still do it? And, and these, these men and, and, you know, uh, like I said, my mother, you know, there's plenty of people that, that they knowing the consequences ahead of time, knowing the adversity, knowing the sacrifice or the suffering that would be associated would still do it. That's family. That's, that's what it means to me to be put the semper and fidelis, the always and the faithful. And, uh, and those are the people that, that you love in every season and, uh, through, throughout your whole life. And, that you never feel like you deserve. And, and Zach is, is one of those people. And, uh, I, and, and there's been, I've been so fortunate to have some of those people in my life. And we used the book as an opportunity to talk about some of them. Yeah, they, the, um, your accounts, again, like the, this sense of family, uh, it goes, and it, especially as it re- relates to being always faithful, I think that's one of the things that is so resounding is that sense that it's almost um, redundant in when you equate family in this book when you equate family to always faithful and it's that familial relationship that allows for that emphasis and semper of the semper fidelis man so again it comes through very well on the page a um, couple of things I would did just want to highlight in the book. Um, here, I, you made a, a reference, uh, I'll just go ahead and call it out for the listeners who may already have a, a book, uh, on page 239, um, on the, uh, second paragraph, you'd said like, Hey, by 2018, Afghanistan is beginning to appear to me to be a colossal footnote. The Washington just wanted to close out. I felt like the American people were unaware that Afghanistan still existed. Meanwhile, I had been home from saying in almost seven years, and there was not a day that passed without me remembering some facet of that seven months. I thought this was really fascinating. It gives, and I, I felt this just a sense of loneliness in reading that passage that even home and even safe, you still when you weren't with your Marines, you just still weren't with family because there was just this sense that no one knows what I'm going through. And quite frankly, it doesn't seem like a lot of people even care. Yeah. This is me just trying to work out stuff on the page. Right. And, 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 you know, I don't know if anybody, what a civilian duty or obligation is to the caring and uh beyond that if if you are going to start a war you should try to win it uh try to you know make sure that the people who are in charge of it have a have a strategy like maybe that's the, the civilians maybe have a collective 
all Americans have kind of a collective responsibility to that. But, but they don't. I mean, uh, you know, I I I I, I, I kind of go back to this idea of um, it's it's usually framed as a negative that uh, America's not at war. America's at the mall. The Marines are at war, and I always kind of. I don't necessarily view that as a bad thing. Like, uh, I'm very happy that my sisters or my grandma, like, isn't at the war. I'm, I'm actually like, things are, that's how it's intended to function. Like that they're at the mall and that I, the guy who raised my right hand said, I want to be a Marine infantryman, that I'm the one at the war. So, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's a problem when, my sisters are at the war. Like now we've really, something's gone awry, you know? Right, right. It's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not great when, uh, my, my sisters and my grandma have to go work on a rubber factory to, to produce more Humvee tires. Like it, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm, I'm happy that they're at the mall, but at the same time, there is something that is so reassuring when you, are with someone who speaks that language because it is really incommunicable, incommunicable experience. And it's not an experience you need to talk about or even want to talk about all the time. And often when you're with those people who understand, you don't even talk about it, but there's just a sense of ease to to that, that there's a shared understanding. And in that shared understanding, I am, there's some peace that is exchanged between that kindred, those two kindred spirits. And, uh, and I'll tell you, you know, uh, I don't I'm not like a guy who likes to go out anymore or goes, you know, to the, to the, whatever, uh, the best Friday night for me is, is, a is having a buddy over, uh, smoking a cigar, spitting a dip and just sitting on the back porch. Like that to me is, is, there's more, it's more fulfilling than kind of any, anything else. And um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's that, but that's unique and there are not many people who have been there. And I, but that also to me is, is a positive that not everybody's had to, I don't want everybody. I hope my kids never have to, you know, I, I, so it's, it's like I said, it's something that I'm still kind of trying to reconcile and work through. Yeah. Well, I think, I think all of us are, um, and I, I, it's probably a lifelong interrogation, man, but I mean, like you said, putting the words on the page is the first step. So, you know, it, it, and it's really, it, it's really well done. Um, another excerpt I wanted to highlight here is sort of what you talked about, sort of the stigmati- stigmatization of bad emotions um, on page 241. You say here, like, we've somehow stigmatized being sad or angry. We've somehow made it that a veteran comes back from combat and they, and they say that I'm lonely or I'm angry or I'm sad. And we say, oh, my God, you must have something wrong with you. <laughs> I think that's really so profound. Um, because, yes, there is something to uh, that sadness, but we have become so comfortable here that when somebody is uncomfortable – we say, oh, there must be something wrong with you. Yeah, I think it's really a, a pendulum swing, you know, because for so long it was like, just suck it up, uh, pack it away, debab, you know, and so, and that was not good or healthy. And, and 
but then we the the pendulum has swung so far to the other direction that as soon as I having a bad day, it's like uh, stop the stop the record. Like what? Like are you, are you, it's like uh, I don't know where at what point we got confused that that everybody's entitled to feelings of of happiness all the time. Yeah, uh, like we're like a society of like of uh like man manics just like <laughs> like you have to yeah. be like this up all the time it's like what's wrong with you if you're sad yeah i get you and 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 there's but not only like but then there the the belief that there must be something wrong with me because i'm sad and so that's kind of what we were being prescriptive for a while with the veterans that if you didn't feel if you felt anything other than happiness then maybe there is something wrong with you. And it was like, I, I flew back on my, after my second deployment, I flew back with a, a higher headquarters element. I was, cause I was just on the individual augment from recon. And so I fell in with a, a group of higher headquarters guys and gals who had flown back from the, the big base there, Leatherneck. And undoubtedly they had combat stress in that they were in a combat zone, although there was no actual direct fire combat, but they were in a dangerous place away from their families for probably a year, usually those those higher ed court astronauts do it. And so, of course, there's, being away from your family for a year, there's some real stress to that. There's some real sacrifices, kids' birthdays, and that's tough on a marriage. And so I, I, I never denigrate for a moment, you know, that type of, and it's the same thing with a mew, a peacetime deployment, all that stuff is hard. And, 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 and so it's not to say that, but, but the chaplain, was giving us our like redeployment brief back at Camp Pendleton and was like, none of you are okay. And all of you, and I'm like, are you sure? Like, <laughs> like, like, do we, do we like, does there have to be something wrong with us? Like, I feel like there, there, we could be okay. And, 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 and it, and then veterans almost kind of fall into this trap of like, uh, well, I, I'm feeling okay, but I feel like I shouldn't. You know, and, and then and then almost it's like I can amass some cultural currency by being a little bit sad or being a little bit saying that. I ha And so now I'm tempted to maybe I can write some checks with bad behavior by saying that I. And, and so you just got to avoid that and just just recognize like it, it is part of the human experience to, to have different seasons and, and some of those seasons are sad some of those seasons are lonely some of those seasons are angry and it's like that is uh just really just part of being a human being and um and they're they're what makes being human more rewarding than being a you know uh, a squirrel you know it's like uh, that, that 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 we're able to have a depth of wide and range emotions and so I, I've lived in a compartmentalized way, manner for a long time, and and it's a safe way, and you don't feel that sad, and you, but you don't feel that happy either, and and it's it's only through the the valleys do you get to get really kind of rich peaks, and so, yeah, kind of being vulnerable and, and open to having uh, a range of emotions, I think is actually healthy. And uh, we've 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 kind of misconstrued that, and 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 particularly, it's somewhat 
the media representation of veterans through, and it's somewhat a veteran veterans have some culpability in that representation as well. But, it, it, you know, for, for a long time, as soon as you said you were, if you were a veteran and you, it was like, stop, like ticking time bomb, gonna explode veteran who's, who's sad veteran who's angry. And it's like, that's most veterans I know are very resilient. You know, most veterans I know uh, are very grateful for, for those, those tough times and really shape their character. And, and so, no, uh, you know, there's one of my favorite Shakespeare plays that no one else likes is, is a play called Coriolanus. And in this, in this, in Coriolanus, he's a Roman uh, general and, you know, he comes back and everybody wants to, make a spectacle of his wounds. And they try to put him on parade and say, let us see like your battle scars. And he's like, you don't understand these. And like, I am not just the sum of these wounds. You know, there's, there's more to me as a man than just these scars. And you want to parade them around for your own entertainment. But when you ask me to open them up in front of you, you don't know what that means. And, and you never can. And by the way, I'm not, asking you to either i'm not saying you have to or you should feel bad i'm not asking for your sympathy or pity it's actually antithetical to who i am as a warrior to take or receive your pity or sympathy uh but uh don't ask me don't make a show of me and 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 i won't put what has happened to me onto you and and so uh i i always kind of think back to old coriolanus (laughs) That's interesting, man. So where are you guys at now? So you said that um, you're going to be starting this book tour, so you're going to get to see Zach plenty of times. Are you guys in touch fairly regularly? Yeah, very uh, excited to, to link up with Zach. And, um, you know, he, it was a very long road to America, from, from Kunar to Kabul to Qatar or Qatar to Germany months in Germany to Philadelphia to Virginia, long time in a refugee camp in Virginia, unwillingly and kind of surprisingly gets sent to Minnesota in January. And, <laughs> uh, and so that's when we first linked up uh, just for about 24 hours. Um, and I said, hey, you know, I know you want to get with your cousins to help you assimilate and acclimate to the, to, to the country and to the culture down in San Antonio. Um, you ready to go? And he said, I'm ready. And, uh, so, uh, we flew, what do we have? Uh, seven passengers, eight suitcases, four car seats, uh, with a connecting flight in Denver. We got down to San Antonio from Minneapolis, um, helped them resettle down there for the night, which was really one of the, such a special night that I got to spend with him and his cousins and sitting on the floor and eating Afghan food. And that was really great. But that was the last time I saw him. That was back in, January, February timeframe. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we, we obviously corresponded extensively throughout the, the, the process of writing the book. And, uh, you know, I, I go to New York every nine 11. I, I usually try to get down to, there's a firehouse across the street from ground zero that, that I've been able to fly some flags for the families that have fallen there and, and at ground zero. And, um, so I, I love New York city and, and, uh, but I'm really excited to be able to get there with Zach and, uh, yeah, it should be cool. Uh, you know, the ABC is going to have uh, us on their billboard in Times Square and just, you know, see that nice. up in uh, Times Square. That, that should be pretty cool. 
That is gonna be very cool, man. That's uh, yeah, you definitely got to take pictures of that one. That's a, uh, that's amazing. Well, this is such a um, <clears throat> and that that's sort of what you just chronicled there in the book too. I mean, that's such a, uh, but it's really a gut wrenching account of your guys' time in San Antonio with his cousins and his family. I mean, you were on your way back to your hotel, right? And they're like, "What are you doing? Like, what do you mean? What do you mean you're going back to your hotel?" I was, yeah, I, I mean, you could, I could have probably filed a kidnapping, uh, <laughs> claim, uh, but I, I yeah, I, I had to fly back to Rhode Island the next morning. We didn't land until like 1 a.m. in San Antonio, and I had like a 7 a.m. flight out the next morning, and uh, they met, his cousins met us at the airport. I'm like, nice to meet you. Glad you guys got your cousin, Zach. I love you, buddy. He said bye to the kids, and the cousins were like, oh, we're not we made a feast for you. Like we're just, yeah. tonight is to celebrate you and, and uh, no one's leaving until you, I'm like, Oh, it's really like generous. No, I really appreciate it. I really can't. It's like, uh, that, no. And then, uh, but that, that was so important that I went there um, because his kids had been through so much uh, uh, and to see his and running around the house and screaming and laughing. And they're, they're, we, we, and all the men went up into a room and we were sitting on the floor and passing around non and, and, you know, eating traditional Afghan food. But for a minute, I just kind of stepped outside with Zach and went and watched the kids for a minute. And it really just struck right to the core of, of kind of all that work. Mostly Zach, a little bit of what I did to kind of get these kids to where they could be safe and happy and, and pursue the American dream. And it was just uh, really special to kind of see it all come together and his, and his wife, who been put through the ringer, you know, Diwa for her to be with the other wives. And, and it was just, uh, it was, I, I was a reluctant participant, but it turned out to be a huge blessing to kind of be able to kind of just, just to see that all the way through and, and to see um, what, what was happening there. So I'm, I'm so glad I went. Yeah, dude. I mean, just hearing you talk about it made me think about towards the end of the book when Zach's, both you and Zach are sort of explaining how you got him out uh, from the uh, airport, man. I like, I just remember like I'm physically sweating reading what was happening with the Taliban there looking for folks and him like walking 10 miles trying to get to the right. And you guys are all like, just via like WhatsApp and text trying to coordinate how to link them up. And I mean, God, it's insane. If you get the book, if for everybody's listening, go get the book. Like I said, I, I reading this account, I was just like sweating. Even though you clearly know how it ends, I mean, it doesn't make for much of a book if it doesn't end the way you you think. But the path to get there, man, it's absolutely amazing. You can't make this stuff up, and I'm so glad that you guys chose to put this, uh, put words to paper, and speak truth to power on this, man. This is such a great thing. But I think you know all of us can remember in the summer and fall of 2001 when we did this, just pulled the rug right out from underneath Afghanistan, the pain and the, and then, you know, the, the surge of Afghan refugees that came in and we at the show were just huge supporters of getting behind this effort to help these folks transition and to get safe and man you were on the front line man so i just thank you so much for all of your effort for everything that you've done and for this book man this is a great book always faithful it hits the shelves august 9th please go check it out man and thank you so much for being generous with your time today man thanks for having me appreciate it
Absolutely. Check out uh, pbabate.org. Get on board with that. Um, support Tom, support 3-5, support the Marine Corps. Send for Dallas, man. Hoorah. Love you. And hope we get back on the show sometime soon. All right, man? Semper Fi. All right. Scuttlebutt is a production of the Marine Corps Association. I am Nick Wilson. That is Major Vic Rubel, U.S. Marine Corps retired. We have also heard the voices of or contributions from William Truding or Nancy Lichman, editors of Gazette and Mother Neck magazines, respectively. Opinions expressed in Scuttlebutt are just that, opinions, and do not represent any official stance of the MCA.